1: what I really want to do today is just broaden your perspective about a lot of different kinds of things. It's just going to make it so much easier when you're working with things like the planetary change, the extraterrestrial factor, and all the rest of that. So what I want, what I want to introduce you to in a moment is an idea of what we know and what we don't know and what I've also found is that sometimes when there's gatherings and there's special places that there's actually something that opens up like a portal or a vortex and the people that are there that it's appropriate actually get downloads of information so don't be surprised if something like that happens with the right people today so why do we talk about stones because the stones can hold the information those of you that have worked with crystals and other fancy glittery blingy stones know that they will hold information solid and they can hold it for tens of thousands of years so quartz crystal for example can be between more than one dimension simultaneously it's it is can broadcast information, it can receive information, and it can hold it in a stable way. They say that a quartz crystal the size of a refrigerator can hold the entire Library of Congress, at least in the US. So don't underestimate that there's a tremendous amount of information that's in these stones. And I have back at my my table, I brought some stones from South Africa, from Bosnia, from Peru, and some real special stones. If some of you are energetically sensitive, or you bring a dowsing device and you want to check on some of that. Uh, Another thing that I've struggled with a good part of my life is what they taught us was quote-unquote science and how to reconcile that with what I was seeing in some of these ancient places. Because they go, well, this is not scientifically proven, and how do you know this is really, really real? So people will argue with you all day about that. So I'm going to present a much broader perspective that I think might be a little more helpful for you, a little more useful i mentioned in my presentation yesterday that one of my favorite quotes was a man was by a man named greg braden some of you may have heard of him he wrote the isaiah factor and he's a was is a very qualified uh, astrophysicist scientist who's also had some near death experiences so he very easily has merged the spiritual or the metaphysical with the scientific modality and what he stated and i'm not stating this exactly but the Principle is the same, is that we have no disagreement that there's something that connects everybody. There's a flow, there's a web, there's a matrix of something that connects all of the people and all of life everywhere. And he said there's so many different intentions to try and understand that, to explain that. And he said science is only one of those, and it's not a very good one. So I love that quote because we put science up on the altar as if it were the ultimate creator god of all that is. And it's had so many failings and so many faultings of things from Galileo on up and on down. And so I'd suggest that science perhaps gets knocked down a a notch or two, certainly Newtonian science. Toward the end, I'm going to present a different model that will be a little more inclusive, but not limited to science to what we were taught in fourth or fifth grade. So I'm here not really to give you so many answers as to open your mind to a lot more questions and have you start asking bigger questions in a bigger way. I think unless we consider the extraterrestrial factor in just about everything we do and in many, many aspects of our daily life, we are not able to make informed decisions. We don't have complete information because from what I've seen and experienced and, and dealt with for Probably a good part of my life is that if we don't include that extraterrestrial or that ET factor, we're just not give. we can't make an informed decision. We're missing a whole chunk of, of the data that's out there. I'm going to be talking just about a couple of my experiences here and there. Most of the places that you're going to see on the slides, I've been there and I've doused or I've experienced the energy or I've done work with people in a variety of ways with the exception of a couple of them and I'll tell you what those are. Uh, one of the places that we're going to talk about that Leslie mentioned is the Stone Circles of South Africa. and that They've been discovered, but they've really been made popular by my friend uh, Michael Tellinger just in the last few years. So was, I've gone over there twice, spent two years, not two whole years, but I've been over there two years in a row and spent quite a bit of time at some of those circles and some of the ancient sites over there. And they were just amazing. If you haven't been to South Africa, it's like going back to the motherland. The, the energy is just beautiful. It's wonderful there another place i've been to for two years in a row are the newly discovered pyramids in bosnia and i don't know if you know that they have found a little valley not very far from sarajevo bosnia where they have found five pyramids and the largest pyramid is one third larger than the great pyramid in egypt so it isn't even fully unearthed it looks like it's You know, just got cows and trees and grass and things like on it. And there's still people arguing, is this really a pyramid or not? It absolutely is. So I'll be sharing some pictures in a little bit about that. Another thing I want to tie together, because it does relate to this, is about the information on the giants. Now, where I come from in northern Arizona, there are a lot of graves. You'll be surprised to see what they look like. And a lot of stories about the giants but the giants have been recorded in the history of almost every country in the world from patagonia at the very tip of south america to certainly europe to the middle east they've been in the mythologies etc so there's been stuff about giants and when you look at giants through the through the the lens of considering perhaps this is an et race perhaps they're tied in with ets perhaps they're a hybrid with ets it adds a whole new dimension to that and Again, just another thing that's been helped me over the years to cope. I was listening one night to Coast to Coast, one of my favorite radio shows, and I'm sure all of you folks are fans of that as well. Um, And there was a man on there, I can't even remember who he was, and he was talking about the different ages that people uh, have gone through historically. And he said, we're coming to the end of the age of logic well, I'm a Virgo, and I use logic all the time, and my heart just about stopped. I was like, oh my God, if we don't have logic in the world, what are we going to be able to do? And he said, we're coming into a new age, and it's the age of paradox. So it is no longer either or, it is now both and. And I really invite you to take that in and consider that it, it doesn't have to be science or made up. It can be both, and it's, and it, doesn't have to just be in one dimension. It can be in both, and it can be in several. So it's not either or, it's both and. And I just love that, because it's been able to reconcile what I've seen and heard for many years are just real, supposed differences that people have in this field. This is one of the first times I've ever spoke at a UFO-type, cosmic-type conference, but I've certainly attended them for more than 20 or 30 years, and I've been involved in the field kind of little below the radar for a long, long time. And there's often been these arguments and disagreements. Yeah, but you can't prove this, and is this really real, and let's take this to a laboratory, and we got to check it out, and there has to be more verification, and... You know, when you look at it can be both and that just settles all that and you can get on to doing some more work that makes a difference. Oh dear. I've done something terrible here. No? Nope. Okay. So again, looking at this larger model, how about we just act like it might be true? If there are pictures that say, well, some of the people were a lot bigger, instead of saying, Well, they were more important, that's why they drew them bigger, what about Maybe they really were bigger. Maybe they were really giants. Maybe they really were from an extraterrestrial race. How about just quit denying what is very obvious that's been stored and historically recorded, in some cases, for thousands and even more years than that. So that's what I've talked about, is what a new model. Where did this go? OK, so I want to introduce my friend Michael Tellinger. And, um, Uh, I hope you can see this, you may need to adjust the light, but he's going to talk for just a minute about a a piece that I think is so important, that when we look at the extraterrestrial factor that is, it's going to keep it going, whoops, got the bad thing, can you make that play now, leave it on that site, so just listen for a couple minutes to Michael here, he's from South Africa.
2: To put it here tonight, because you're a really wise audience. Um, is, everything we've been told is a lie. And I'm going to show you why I say that. Because we've got to ask ourselves, how much do we really know about human history? Okay? We, we throw out these things all the time. We, throw out, we make these statements on a daily basis, oh, it's not economically viable, or you know, you're an individual, you're entitled to your own opinion, and all these kind of things. By the way, all these are all not really true, but that's another <laughs> presentation. If history is written by the victors, and we say this all the time, history is written by the victors, history is written by the victors, what does it really mean? Stop. Think about what it means and put it into context. How can we put this into context and get some sort of scientific sense out of it? So let's first go back and, and analyze who we think we are right now based on current levels of information. We're told that we're the We're the sort of pinnacle of civilization that started somewhere in Sumeria or Sumer around 6,000 years ago. And our teachers and academics and history books tell us that we've pretty much learned everything we know or inherited everything we know from the Sumerians. You know, from astronomy, astrology, architecture, agriculture, um, money, etc. We've, We've inherited from the Sumerians. And uh, so they've been around for 6,000 years, right? And we're now the pinnacle, we're the smartest, the wisest, all these people before us were old, they know nothing. And, uh, and that's what most people in the world think today. Uh, luckily it's changing very rapidly, but still that's uh, the main body of current belief. Um, let's just assume that if history is written by the victors, just by show of hands, you know, in 6,000 years, how many wars do you think we've had? Just shout out a number, anything that comes to mind in 6,000 years. Come on, be brave. 5,000 wars. Or shall we be kind to history and say we had one war per annum Okay, in over a 6,000-year period? Just, I just need you to really contextualize this, because these are very important subtleties that we don't often th- stop and think about. So if we had 6,000 wars in 6,000 years, how does that affect our knowledge of ancient human history, our origins, and all these things? Um, What you will find if you speak to statisticians or historians, they normally tell you that, well, we lose at least 50% of information um, after a conflict situation. That's what I got from doing my research. Uh, 50% of information probably goes lost, because those that write the history books write it with a different agenda. Okay, and they'll put in there whatever they want, and we, don't, we know very little about the people that were conquered by Alexander. They were just vile and evil, and they all deserve to die. All right. so if you start putting it into a, a very basic statistical formula and a spreadsheet like this, it doesn't take long for you to realize even after event number eight, we already know less than 1% of the original truth. I'm not saying the Sumerians had the all, all, all truth and nothing but the truth. What I'm saying is because it's the oldest material we have, it's probably closest to the original truth that we have. So let's use that as, you know, starting point. So within, you know, how many, how many years, eight years, within eight years of the rise of the Sumerian civilization, we already know less than 1% of the original truth. What I particularly like is when you come down and you get to this, this very nice number, 124th event, 124th conflict. So it's only, only 124 years into civilization. We have that long, lovely number there. And I like that number because that's also known as Planck's constant, 10 to the minus 34. And essentially what this tells us is by the time we get to event 124, we already know less about our human origins than is permissible by the laws of physics. And that's an interesting thing to contemplate, you know. So just let's put that into context. So if we say, or if I say, that we know nothing about our human history, I'm already starting to believe that, and I really do believe that, that everything we've been taught is a lie, because it's just a convoluted distortion after distortion after distortion. And we've got to be very, very careful about what we believe about all the stuff in the past. What we do know, from science, is that we live in an electromagnetic universe where everything vibrates and spins. And these are very important things, very important principles. From the smallest atomic and subatomic structures, everything vibrates and spins. And in fact, you know, we're told that the only reason this, this universe exists because of the spin and the vibration of all matter in it. If it stopped vibrating and stopped spinning, it would just disappear.
1: Okay, so that's enough of Michael. Anyway, he's a wonderful person. He's an incredible researcher. He's really stuck his neck out to the quote unquote historical anthropological and archaeological communities. Um, I've seen it. I've been to some of his conferences and presented down in South Africa. And um, what, what he's saying is so true. It's just so important to grasp that we really know nothing about our history. We know nothing. And in 124 years, to have it be less than allowable by the laws of physics. So think if it goes back 1,000, 2,000, years. And I believe, th- we've done some dowsing, we've done some work in South Africa, that those stone circles are at least 250 to 300,000 years old. So we know nothing about those historical places except what we're starting to research in some different ways. OK, so let me just, let me just give you a little background on where I was coming from briefly. Have you ever wondered, have, some of you have been to Mexico or been to the Central America, or something. do you ever notice when you climb those pyramids, though, those steps are so huge? Have you ever noticed that? Like they're this big, like huge. And you go, well, why do they make these steps so big? I mean, because the Mayans are little people about this big, and the steps, you'd you think they have to step this one, and I always thought, well, why did they do it that way? It doesn't make sense. I mean, the obvious would be, what? Maybe there were big people walking on those steps, or something else, or some other people. So the Mayans, you can see here, are some very small, little, petite people. You know, five and a half feet tall is a, is a full-grown man, easily. This is some of the pyramid. this is um, the Temple of the Inscriptions in Palenque. I went there three times in one year. And that place that you see behind on the left is another pyramid that has, a, it's actually a, uh, a pyramid that hasn't been on Earth yet, but it's for uh, uh, astrolog- astronomical observations and things like that. And I was involved in a group of people that opened some vortexes. Um, in several places on the planet simultaneously and spent the night up there on top of that that hill with the howler monkeys going around and scaring the, scaring the daylights out of us one time. Um, so that was one of the questions, like, why are these steps so big? Another thing when we were little kids we were taught about the pyramids, that they had so many thousand slaves and they hauled these blocks of stone I forget how many hundred miles from another part of the Nile or something like that. and and they started um, making these pyramids, which were tombs for the kings. But some of the kings died when they were eighteen or twenty years old. And so I would, you know, Virgo logic. Um, how did they get these people to start making these things ahead of time? And how many thousand, you know, how many thousands and thousands of slaves did they have to use? And of course they beat them all the time. So I don't think they could do too much. They when they're running around with, you know, sores and bloody things on their back like that. So. How many, how long, how often, and then what about the fact that they never found any mummies in there? So even though we were taught this historically and scientifically and by the schools that supposedly know everything, there was a part of me that said, you know, this isn't adding up somehow. It just isn't adding up. So that prompted me to start looking at things from a whole different way. And that's why I was so grateful to start looking at things from a dowsing perspective and researching these things in a different way. When you go down to, if some of you have been to Egypt, when you go down to um, some of the other tombs, like in Luxor, up the Nile, which is really down the Nile, you see these great big giant people. Well, what if they really were great big giant people like that? I mean, like, what if it's not denying the obvious? So that was just one of the things that I would ask about. Another thing is that in the Southwest we have a lot of um, a lot of cliff dwellings, way up in these cliffs. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of feet up, and they wouldn't have any stairs. And I go, well, how do these people get up back and forth. Well, they'd have ladders or they'd climb up these ropes. I go, well, why don't they build a stairs? I mean, you can see they would build these places deep in the rocks, carve this thing out, make it safe, make it all these things. Well, why wouldn't they put some stairs there? Well, because the river might rise, or you would be something, or because of the weather. They gave us some kind of stuff. Well, guess what? Maybe, It had to do with the local cannibals. Maybe they didn't want to get eaten for lunch. Maybe they didn't want their children stolen and eaten because that's what was really going on. If they could pull it up because there was a 10 or a 20 or a 30-foot giant in the neighborhood, they could be safe when they're 100 foot up a cliff. So we're kind of rewriting history a little bit about this stuff. Um, What about these petroglyphs? They're all over all over in many parts of the world, but I'm kind of talking to you a little bit about the Southwest because that's where I'm from right now. Look at some of these things. Don't they look like some of the classic greys? Don't they look like some of the beings, the extraterrestrial stuff? What if they were drawings about visitors from off-world sources and places? What if that was really true? What if the big guy in the middle was big because he was really big and the rest of the people were really little? Instead of, well, he was a portent, or he was the shaman, or he was the king. Yeah, well, what if he was four times the size of the other people? And another thing is that a lot of them had, had, look at that guy. I mean, talk about a petroglyph. It's like, well, um, he had better vision than the others or something like that. So a lot of times they had six fingers and six toes. I don't know if you know that. I've seen that on some of the petroglyphs and I've had people tell me, well, if they had six toes and they were a little more advanced beings, well, a lot of the giants had six toes and six fingers. And some of them had double sets of teeth, too. I don't know if you know that. So when you just start looking at all these things this is another this is again my friend Michael Tellinger and I've been to that footprint and it is really huge it's about this big went up there climbed up on that rock doused all that stuff and that is a that is a footprint of a humanoid type being right there in South Africa and they were big big peoples it was probably made in mud it probably hardened granite type thing and then with some of the earth changes it got pushed up so I don't think all these people made up these stories. What about the ones with Bigfoot? What about Sasquatch? What about if this was a whole different evolutionary line that was created to be on the Earth? What about if these people already have 36 strands of DNA that are activated? What about if they can go between dimensions, fourth and fifth and third dimensions, and that's why they can't catch them. That's why they can't necessarily Uh, have connections with them in a way, and what if there are people already doing connections with them? What if there's somebody doing research that's got samples of tissue, bone, etc., and it shows that their DNA contains a, a huge amount of human DNA? I'll give you some of that information later. So there were a lot of different species. They all came out of one group called Homo erectus. And they have been—they uh, were brought here a long, long time ago, and they're actually far more evolved than the human species are right now. I don't want you to believe anything I say. I want you to check it out yourself. Okay. Um, well, so then that takes you back to another question. Well, what about Atlantis? Who knows about that fairy tale? Who made that up, or whatever? There's stories. There's pictures. Plato talked about it. What an incredible civilization it was! How technologically advanced! Consider this, that Atlantis was actually a fifth dimensional civilization. After the fall of it, things went back into third dimension, because we hear from the Ascension stories that we're moving back through the fourth and into the fifth dimension. What if that's true? I've been to Bimini. I've done dowsing there. I've, I've gone in... learned to scuba dive and gone into the depths of the Bimini roads down there to actually see some of these ruins that are below the water. It's amazing the underwater ruins in a lot of places. What if those really were legitimate civilizations that occurred and they had contact with extraterrestrials and some of them were giants? Okay, here's some more more places just that I've checked out and when you factor that in with the extraterrestrial factor it really adds a whole different dimension. These are some of the stone circles in the Orkney Islands. The Orkney Islands are north of Scotland, way up inside the Arctic Circle, and there's amazing circles up there. This is old Viking land, um, similar to Stonehenge. And every one of these stones has stories and meanings and energies that can be doused, or those of you that are clairvoyant or energetically sensitive can check into that. So Mexico, Central America tons and tons and tons of pyramids and ruins and things. Belize have been to the caves and been to down where they found the crystal skulls and all that. Um, Egypt, of course, the pyramids there and a lot of the other ruins, much of which is kept from the general public, some of the things they've done. China and Tibet, the ruins and the ancient places there. I lived in Malta for many years. I've been down to Patagonia and heard their stories about the giants and some of the, what they might not call them extraterrestrials, but other beings that were there. Certainly the things in Greece. We talked about the stories of the gods and goddesses of Olympus and all of that. What if those were true? Bimini, I talked about That's where you go and actually see some of the ruins of possible Atlantean civilization, which may have extended much more than just in the Atlantis. And of course, the Nazca lines, how do you in the world do you explain those um, that you can see from the air? They're really, the best way to do it is to go up in a small plane. Peru, Machu Picchu, the skulls, the ruins, the things there, even in their own history, they don't have the definitive stories. They go, well, these were the ancient ones, or these were the ones before then. In South Africa, when I was over there with Michael, we went up for two or three days to Zimbabwe, to the Great Zimbabwe Ruins, which are just absolutely amazing. And they're directly south, exactly uh, on a longitudinal line south of the Great Pyramids in Egypt. And when dowsing on those stones, they've got some uh, spire-type stones that were just one stone, like a needle, that's probably... a no more than six inches around, and extends up three or four feet. And they've got them spaced alternately around the top of the, of the ruins there. But what were those about? What were they for? The antenna? Were they for to get a TV station? What were they about? And of course, a lot of the U.S. sites that have amazing things in them and the stories. There's some of the stuff from the Nazca lines. If you've not been there, it's, those are incredible to see but you start looking at these places with the lens of looking at these as possible being extraterrestrial off-world planet visitors then it takes on a whole different place there's the ruins in zimbabwe which extends quite a quite a distance i know you can go on youtube and look up these things a little better a little bit bigger but huge huge places and they say well the king lived in here and this is where the queen's house was and this is where the other wives were I don't think you can see those big stones that I was talking about but cylinders and things that were really really amazing and when you go and you energetically tap in on those places or you start dowsing those stones and checking the age and checking who built them and who was around and what the real purposes of them were you'll really be amazed because remember we really don't know very much about our history we've been lied to and given a lot of incorrect information Another person that I was privileged to spend a couple of days with in Africa is the great, uh, a great, really phenomenal man, Zulu shaman named Credo Mutwa. Some of you may have heard of this man. Um, and he talks about the extraterrestrial contact with his tribe, the Zulu tribe, which were known as the Chitahuri. They're very kind of reptilian-ish looking. And even this huge necklace that he wears has got some indications and references to some of that. He's also an artist, and he's done a lot of paintings and drawings about that. But the stories that he has from his culture that go back thousands and thousands of years certainly includes the extraterrestrial um, the extraterrestrial factor in there. Amazing man, very educated, very brilliant. He's very declining in health now. He's got diabetes but um, just just oh, such a privilege to meet a man of that caliber. Um, this is one place I've not been yet but it's definitely on my bucket list and I've just been finding out more information about this lately which is the Easter Island stones. You always heard about the heads. Well guess what they've been digging a little bit deeper and now they found out that there's bodies attached to these heads. And these were another race of giants that came from another another planetary system, another galaxy. They came here, they were covered up by the water. That's why only the heads were kind of exposed. And what I want you to notice, and I just got this information last week, is about the writings that are on the back of these stones. This is in a different language. It's similar to some of the Egyptian hieroglyphics, but it's not quite the same and it hasn't been deciphered. These writings on the back of the stone were left by a different race, a different species of ETs. There's been a lot of different species that have come and visited our planet, left things in the stones, and left other things. So this was not left by the giants that were the Easter Head, Easter Island Head people. It's, it's a different species, and of course they haven't been able to translate that specifically you'll see some other places um, where you'll see some writings that they haven't quite discovered. So how do you explain this if you're going to look at the scientific model? Um, one of the places that I mentioned that I went I've been to several times is Palenque. And in Palenque at the, which is, Down on the left-hand side, that temple of the inscriptions. In Palenque, um, they've got a lot of ruins. And one of the ruins off to the side that's not visited very much is a place called the biblioteca. Biblioteca means the library. And what that was was a place that was stored information, not like card catalog kind of a library, but drawings and carvings and things of some of the ancient, ancient races that were brought to this planet, that lived on this planet, that inhabited this place. Some of them came, some of them went, some of them stayed longer, some of them didn't, and that's in the ruins in Palenque. In Palenque also, um, this, this, uh, this pyramid thing that you're seeing there has 365 steps that lead up to the entry. It's called the Temple of the Inscriptions. And then you go up and then you go down to other angles and you go to a place where there's a triangle and inside that triangular place is the tomb of Lord Pakal. Pakal. And it's a huge sarcophagus. It's a giant stone that's on there. And this is a drawing of what's on that stone. If you look at that, the guy's guy's driving some kind of a rocket ship. You see that? Now what's going on with this stuff unless you factor in the extraterrestrial uh, energies this doesn't make any sense at all I mean any sense according to what we were told about the ancient Mayans and then look at these skulls from Peru from Egypt from many other places a lot of these things have been um let's say what's a nice way to say confiscated um, borrowed or something by the Smithsonian and other places that just don't. They've got hundreds and thousands of skulls and skeletons of people and beings and things that are just stored away, probably in cardboard boxes at the bottom. But how does one make sense of these kinds of things? You don't. Now let me introduce you to another friend of mine, and one of my great privileges was that I was able to get Dr. Sam Osmanovic from the Bosnian Pyramids together with Michael Tellinger. So last year Michael was one of the keynote at Dr. Sam's uh, conference that he has every fall in um, in in the fall in Bosnia. Now let's see if we can, this is, well, they're supposed to be able to play this. Can we, this is a, my sound man. This is supposed to be a, a thing that we should be able yeah, to play. Long.
3: My name is Dr. Sam Samir Osmanak. The I'm the right Anthropology Professor at the American University in Bosnia. I want you to hear Bali. what he's telling you about this. My PhD is in Mayan studies, and I am a foreign member of the Russian Academy of National Sciences. For the last 25 years, I have been investigating pyramids all over the world from the Central American countries like Honduras, Guatemala, Salvador, Belize, Mexico, but also Peru.
1: I don't know if that's the pause button, but let me pause Bolivia, for a second.
3: Islands, and Mauritius, say that Dr. Sam
1: said there Egypt, are over 100,000 pyramids on this planet. A hundred thousand. I first came to this Okay, go ahead.
3: Bosnian town of Visoko. 20,000 people, 30 kilometers northwest from the capital city of Sarajevo. I came to Visoko to visit Locna Museum, but what I saw in front of me was a hill which was regularly shaped. Four sides, triangular faces, obvious corners, the same slope. I took the compass and compass showed me the orientation of this side to the north, south, east and west. I know that mother nature does not make hills with four sides, triangular faces and perfect orientation. I knew that this was an artificial structure. In the last 7 years from 2005 to 2012, we established a non-profit foundation called Archaeological Park Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun Foundation. We have spent 300,000 hours on archaeological digging sample testing and radiocarbon dating, and we concluded that in Visoko we have five pyramids which we named the bosnian pyramids of the sun moon dragon earth and love and under the valley of the pyramids is a huge network of underground tunnels chambers and water accumulation so we named this the bosnian valley of the pyramids
1: wild, huh? If you haven't heard of that, get on the internet and check out Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun and start checking that out. And if you got any extra time, just get over there and help dig them out. Because this country is one of the poorest countries in Europe. They don't even have enough money to keep their national museum open. But they've had people from 54 countries come that are starting to excavate and um, empty out these tunnels, which are backfilled with stuff. There's a huge labyrinth, I'll show you another picture in a moment, of these pyramids. I mean of the tunnels, do you see these up here on the side there? Um, that are all full of different things and students and older people and people my age and everything are just coming with wheelbarrows to help empty that stuff out I've got some some of the stones at my my table if you want to check that out there if you look at the pyramid on the top right side you'll see that there is a beam of energy coming out of it now this on this poster has kind of been enhanced but I did climb up on that puppy and did measure it with my dowsing rods and it's about a 12 to 14 um, foot Um, beam of energy of something coming out so that pyramid is still quite active in a lot of different ways and it feels good and the tunnels you just want to move in and sleep there it's the the um, the energy is just amazing in there there's water in there we've checked it out dowsing it's got the strongest healing force of any water we've ever found anywhere in the world and they've got a lot of scientists that are come and offering their uh, different perspectives about this place. Now the official position of the Bosnian government is this, Bosnia never had any pharaohs, therefore we could not possibly have any pyramids, how's that? <laughs> and of course there's a lot of controversy with the people from Egypt because if this one is one-third larger and it's more closely aligned with the north which it is then that's a real threat to the tourist industry in Egypt so it's been it's been quite controversial it has been denounced et cetera. but I'm telling you legitimately it's absolutely real it's a magical magical place and most of all this man dr. Sam is a very heart chakra man he says I know we will not find the answers to this looking strictly in the scientific community I know we have to look at the spiritual we have to look at the metaphysical we have to look at these other levels if we're ever going to fully understand what's going on and what's happened there so for a man of his caliber I mean Russian Academy of Sciences PhDs etc to be able to step out and put that on the line in that kinda way is really amazing I'm just so grateful to have met people like him and Michael Tellinger and some of these other people that are breaking away from that that narrow scientific model in that particular way. So they've measured it with a lot of different type of technology, some of the heat radiation, some of the energies, and I've done there, I've done group past life regressions, I've been in the tunnels, Dr. Sam had me go in there with a few group of people, we, uh, we doused, we accessed some of the spirits that are guardians and the beings that helped build it, and the energies that were going on thousands and thousands of years ago. This is at least 25 or 30 thousand years old, and probably much older. Um, There is a covering over the pyramids um, that they've excavated part of this away. You can see it was either one slab or several slabs. It's made of a concrete type composite material that they've analyzed in several laboratories in Vienna and Berlin, etc. and it is much harder than than even the concrete that we can make today. We can't make that quality of concrete today. Um, On the far right you'll see Uh, one of the, I call them pods, they call them something else, but there are these uh, structures that are inside the tunnels. They're a ceramic ceramic type material. Uh, They have, some of them have inscriptions on, you can see from the bottom. Again, we're going back to some of these ancient writings that were in places. And they're on a ceramic base, so they don't move. And, um... They probably they've kind of x-rayed them, so they probably have some other devices inside, possibly some crystals and things like that. Uh, On the inside, on the far left bottom, you're going to see the tunnels, and they've opened up quite a few of those tunnels already, and they are defying the laws of gravity. Literally, you can see they've only got a a few poles. oh I'd say every three or four feet there's a pole and guess what it's defying the laws of gravity because the earth doesn't fall down and squash you it's not collapsing and it's not like they have to dig it out with picks it's very loose composite with a few stones a lot of sand and dirt and they just gently pick that up shovel it out wheelbarrows and out they go so the um, the ratings on some of this is amazing here's an underground stream and river in there and um that's found in, in some of those tunnels, but we don't even know fully what all it is. It's, it's, there's several layers of things in there, layers upon layers upon layers. So that's the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, so please, um, if you can't get there, whoops, we can't play this whole thing, so let's just move on to the next one. So let's take a look at some of Michael's stone circles in Africa. Um, if you're just driving around the countryside, you're going to see them looking like this. Some of it have shown up, some of it hasn't. And um, the, the idea that we have is that they were probably covered up during the Great Flood, which are in all the Genesis stories of all the civilizations. And now the, it, the erosion is wearing away and the, and the star- circles are starting to, be, um, starting to be revealed. They take all different shapes. Every single one of these is different. And Michael estimates from working with Google Earth, et cetera, there are at least 10 million, million with an M, of these stone circles all over South Africa, Zimbabwe, Botswana, et cetera, some of these South African countries. 10 million of them. Some of them are in the shape of megatrons, so they could actually be devices. When you measure the energy inside and out, it is dramatically different. The heat index is dramatically different. I've identified scalar waves and other kinds of things going in there. So we don't fully know, does it have to do with transporting gold into the ships? Did it have to do where some of the original people were created? Et cetera. Uh, they also align with a lot of the star systems. For those of you that can look at those things, there's just amazing material on that. This is another the park where Adams Calendar, which is the most prominent of the of the uh, stone arrangements, is is uh, this is at the entrance to the park, and it, and they've named the park something like the park for the m- memorial of the blue swallow birds or something. I mean, they don't even. They don't even grasp what it was, what it is at all. They're denying it. They say, well, these, were, these stone circles were built by some ancient migratory tribes that were used as cattle corral. I mean, I've been to the museum at the Origins Museum at the biggest university in South Africa, spent the day there, and they go, yeah, they had these little stone circles for the cows to get in. Now, the fact that there was no entrance, there was no exit, I guess the cows sort of like jumped over the stones, and then when it's time, they just jumped back out. You know, I mean, the stuff that they tell us is so bizarre that you go, why do I even listen to these kinds of things? This... This piece of stone that I'm next to, Kratom Mutua, said this is where the heaven and the earth met. And he said this is the clitoris of Mother Earth, that stone right there. Okay, um, there I am dowsing. They're loosely packed. They're not, they don't have any mortar or anything in, be- five minutes? They don't have any mortar in between them, and um, and they ring like a bell. I don't have a picture with that, but I've got some things, so we're going to go really fast. Okay, like fasten your seat belts here get ready we'll talk about the giants for a minute these are um these are some of the artifacts that they found in some of the giants tombs in um in the united states and in other places and these giants can get to be huge. There are apparently 9 distinct groups with 20 different branches that were brought to this planet. They range in size from 9 to possibly 35 foot tall. They're talked about all over the world. In the Navajo and the Hopi stories, they talk about them as being cannibals. And they're, they have a lot of stories. I've been on the reservations and I've asked them about the giants and the stories with that. And I wanted to tell you, I've got a man, I've got a video, I don't know if we're going to hear him. Um, who has spoken and done a lot of research with this and he said that in um, uh, can we play this a little a little bit for just a second okay he said there is a cave so in northeast Arizona
0: a few and the few started giving us clues so I'll show well, you well I'll let we you found. watch
1: this for just a second
0: when you have a big slope like this the giants were using hard rock to bury their dead so they would come in and carve a hole actually they would start a couple holes Flip a capstone lid off of each hole because it was actually the original sandstone that was there. That's why they're so dang difficult to find. They'd pull the lids off and then they'd start digging a shaft. And they'd start, those shafts are usually 30 to 40 feet deep. They're usually solid stone. Very rarely have we found them in anything soft. And then they would, most cases, almost all the ones we found have been two shafts. Occasionally, in a few instances, they actually hook the two shafts together at the bottom. Usually in one of the shafts there's a male, one of them has a female. They were usually buried together. So when they were done, what they would do is put their bodies in, and then they would put in a layer of sand, layer of clay, layer of sand, layer of clay, all the way back up to the top. That's for those of you that know a little bit about what clay does, that's like just putting a layer of wax across the thing and sealing out all the water. That's why you have some extremely well-preserved giants. Wherever These those are in northern seals, Arizona, and and southern Utah, southern Colorado,
1: that whole area across there is loaded. They're almost 100% I want you to see this preserved. one with a corkscrew.
0: Desert does a real good job of dehydrating, and you'll see that in a minute. This is what the shafts look like when you find them. This was something put back over so that people would not find it. It was not the original. Just threw some boards across it so people would not stumble on it. And if you'll see, this is one shaft. This is the other shaft down here in the picture. This is a little better picture of it. And they go, they go down 40 feet. This is another set. These are two other sets. This one, same deal. I want you to look at how smooth those walls are. You cannot see a pick mark. You cannot see anything. Those are just, just smooth as glass. We have absolutely nothing that we could do today that would not leave construction or drill marks and yet they're pretty much just vertical shafts 40 feet deep. And they're carved in solid rock. Well, most people don't go looking for graveyards in solid rock. When you get down into the tombs, oh, this one was really interesting.
1: Yeah, look at that one.
0: This sucker is 37 feet deep, but it has an eight inch shelf that spirals clear to the bottom, just like corkscrew a corkscrew. all the
1: way to the bottom.
0: And you're going, okay, that's a little tough to build even with today's tools. How'd they do it with no pick marks, nothing. You do not see any, any indication. They sat there and hammered that sucker out.
1: Okay, we're gonna move on. There's a lot of Egyptian type symbols. Again, could be extraterrestrial thing that they found in these. And they found, this is some of the giants. They're often full mummies, often still even have the hair. A lot of them were red headed and blonde headed, and they wore fabric that were often embroidered, et cetera. These are 9, 10, 15, in some cases 20 feet tall. So they're all over. Now, shifting gears again. I said we're going to go fast here. Um, this is a lady um, that has done the Sasquatch Genome Project. Are you, any of you folks familiar with her? An amazing person. Whoops. Did I lose it? Can we play that for just a second? Um, But she's a- uh, First of all, this study, we didn't plan on doing this study. I didn't believe they existed at all. Um, When the study started, it it was just some people wanting species identification. And when word spread, uh, we ended up having a lot of uh, different samples submitted and it became a project, and with the funding from Wally Hirsom. So she's a PhD Durson, scientist, we it, highly, highly qualified, and she's and done the research with samples from Bigfoot of some tissues, of some uh, hair, of some bone, et cetera. I mean, it takes ten fifteen thousand $15,000 to do a whole DNA thing on that, and she's done quite a few of them as well. And all of them contain strains of human, high percentage of human. So like I said, this is a whole other evolutionary path from this homo erectus, so, these beings. Um, but anyway, this is this is available on YouTube. You can go check this lady out and listen to some of the reports that she's got. You go to the Sasquatch Genome Project with that, if that's of interest. I'm going to move on. Let's see what else we got real quickly that we can do. Oh, there are a lot of groups of different species of beings that were brought to the Earth or got trapped here on the Earth, and a lot of them are requesting to leave now. Um, one of them is the Bigfoots or the Sasquatch, and they've petitioned to leave the planet because They're just having a hard time with everybody trying to chase them down and kill them, et cetera, like that. There's a lot more pyramids that are going to be discovered in South uh, Argentina, hundreds, hundreds of them down there that will have a lot of golden temples, a lot of writings, a lot of additional information. Mother Earth is a planetary being, a planetary spirit that actually lives in the planet. She uh, went into a coma or deep sleep type state after the collapse of Atlantis and has been in this like a suspended state coma would be a good way to say that, since the Atlantean time with all the atomic stuff. When they started doing the experiments on the atom bomb, that she got activated again and has been is now already in the fifth dimension and will, the planet will be moving through the fourth and into the fifth dimension, In I believe in our lifetime. But she's already in the fifth dimension, so there's um, a lot more information on that. One of the things that we've been given is the information between some of the, some of the extraterrestrial species, the Zetas, which were a type of a gray. And when you, when you look in their eyes, you can see their soul. When you look in the other grays, you see a mirror, because they didn't have uh, that connection with the emotions. And that's a piece that's so important in terms of looking at the, at the uh, extraterrestrials, is that you have to have emotions in order to evolve. So that's part of the hybridization program that's been going on to some extent. Some of it's with permission, some of it's without, is so that these beings can get the emotions because you must have emotions to evolve. And then of course you have to learn to master them. You don't want to just be a jerk, you know. Okay, Um, this is the model I want to present. Just briefly, if you imagine, an iceberg the tip is space-time newtonian physics as we think of it you know it has to be proven it has to be space-time measurable in a laboratory etc so that's the way to think of just the very tip of this iceberg the submerged part is quantum physics it's the quantum field it's all the stuff that we know exists that the shamans knew about, and the dowsers know about, but we can't really prove it in the conventional way. And then if you think of consciousness as the water that surrounds this, that connects everything together, this might be a useful way to, to begin to think of some of this in this way. And um, that's put, presented by a woman named Dr. Ruth Katzner. You can listen to her on Coast to Coast, you can go to her website, etc. and she's written a new book called Understanding Our Unseen Reality, where she really is presenting this model. It's, it's a little better than the, um, some, of the, some of the other models out there. I can't think of them right now. And when I ask at the higher level, what do they want me to know, in terms of what do they want me to give to the information to everybody here, and it was love. That was it, one, one thing. You've just got to talk about love. You've got to say that we've got to connect with everybody. Everybody, everything is connected, every stone, every leaf, everything. And the more we can vibrate at that higher frequency, which is like service to service to others versus service to self, that's the name of the game. That's it. Thank you so much for your attention.